your skill is important. What you are doing, you are bringing something important to the table. But the more you know about what other people are contributing, the easier it is to be a, a team player and, and slot into the process. In this episode, I'm talking to actor, comedian and writer Melt Sieberhagen. Hi, Melt. Hi there. Nice to meet you, Petra. Lovely to meet you too. Um, so you are a you're an actor, a writer, and a comedian in South Africa. Um, yes, amongst other things, I'm. I, I basically just say I'm an entertainer. I think that's the best way to summarize everything. Okay. So what what um, else do you do? Um, I, everything in in show business. I I studied. Yeah drama but when I started working 20 years ago I landed up in the research department for a TV show mm -hmm. so I, I learned I, I studied the performance degree so I learned quite a bit about television production while working there so um, being able to edit and direct kind of was added to my skill set then and for five years that was my main focus until I started doing stand-up comedy in 2006 then performance kind of took over from, from production work. Well then, um, uh, but what was the interest for you initially when, as a child, were you always interested in drama? Yeah, I was, I was interested in performing. I, um, yeah. my, my, I grew up in a very small town, but isolated from, from mainstream culture, but Where, my parents, was that? My, it's a small place called Fentersdorp. It's about 160 kilometers west of Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. And my parents, I'm an only child. My parents had a farm there and then they moved into town. But they would drive through to Johannesburg for theater shows. Um, mostly uh, one-man shows like by Peter Dirk Ace in the 80s. Um, farces. There was a theater in Joburg called the Alhambra Theater which had, so I, I, I saw a lot of that and musicals. I saw a lot of that growing up. So my interest was in becoming, a, I, I think I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I went to study drama. I thought it was about being a performer and entertaining people and be funny, being funny. So I, I was introduced to the, the deeper side of drama only when I arrived at university. And, and the much broader scope that there is inside it, apart from just being on stage. Yeah, and I think also when you grow up in, a, in the countryside and you, in, in, uh, you know, and it, it's a more a conservative sort of environment, then it, you're also not ready for, oh, there's the cat. That's Kevin. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can understand that. And then, then you say you you learned about the deeper side or the the a different side of drama and, yes. and, and acting. Yeah, I was I was aware of it, but I never thought of myself as um, I don't know what the don't want to use the word artistic, but uh, uh, deep. I I, th I thought I thought I think I was very superficial. I. I thought of entertainment as a very superficial business. Um, and, I, and I got to know a lot more of it. I knew about the elements. My mother is an English teacher. I just visited her this weekend. She's 77 and still teaching at the local high school. Wow. Oh, um, that's amazing. But still in store. Yeah, still. But through her, I was introduced to a lot. I, I mean, I saw the, the 1970s production of Macbeth, the, the very eerie movie, I think I was five when I saw that in the school hall when when the big reels of film were still delivered by train. 
And my mother showed that to her standard 10 metric class because that was their prescribed book. So after Macbeth, I remember I learned the story of Romeo and Juliet and then The Tempest. I really loved The Tempest as a child. I think I find some kind of connection with Caliban in, in The Tempest because it's this, it's fantastic. It's like, it's the closest to, to Elizabethan science fiction, or not science fiction, fantasy fiction. Yeah. Um, so I was I was very lucky to have parents who they didn't pro, they did not prod me to do this. They they would have preferred I become a doctor or, or accountant or a lawyer, but mm-hmm. they exposed me to 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 theater and performance from a very young age. And then um, was it easy for you to start a career then um, in in you know acting in South Africa? Um. It, it was different. Uh, I, I don't want to use the word easy or difficult because it was it was definitely different than I thought it would be. Um, and it's been it's been tough. I, like I said, when I did the production job, I thought this is where I landed. Maybe I should focus on this. Um, and I didn't really perform. I, I, I did a lot of voice work. That was one of my 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 saving graces. I still got to perform once or twice a week by going in to do a, a radio commercial or so there was always a little bit of performance still. And then in, in 2006, on the 31st of May, I accidentally did a stand-up gig for a friend. They did a fundraiser and he asked me to do a bit of stand-up. And I always thought I could, but I never worked at doing it because I never saw uh, Afrikaans stand-up comedian as being a career, but I did this, the, the gig that evening and I was, Totally hooked immediately. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember the rush of being in front of an audience and feeling comfortable with the stand-up, which is yourself, but a heightened version of yourself. Uh, a ca- you're almost doing a caricature of yourself. And in order to keep on doing stand-up, I had to start doing it in English because there wasn't, there was no Afrikaans stand-up circuit. There still isn't. There's a couple of us doing it, but there's no constant circuit. Whereas in English, this country has an amazing crop of young and older talented stand-up comics so when I was still living in Johannesburg you you could do a stand-up gig four out of five nights of the week because it's a small province but they are you could go up to the north in Pretoria or down to the bottom in Alberton or to the west in Krugersdorp or to the east in Benoni there was always a bar or a pub or a restaurant with a bit of stand-up so then that's when performance became my main focus, but it was me doing stand-up. It was very much a solo career. And I've been very fortunate in the last, I would say, three years, two years, actually, I've been acting. I've been getting really? proper... I mean, I, I'm a character actor. I come in and I go. I'm not leading man material. I've never had that delusion. But yeah. it's, I've, I've, I was always the guy who came in for a day or two. And now I've reached the point where I come in for a week or two or three. So um, it was, it, it's still an insecure job. There's nothing is ever set in stone. But being able to write, being able to direct or edit or do voiceovers or act or do stand up, at least there's always something to keep you going. And I might be a bit naively positive at the moment, but it feels like I've kind of hit my stride. Now mm-hmm. I, I, Ten years ago, I would have called myself an actor last on the list of things I do. Now it's one of the primary things I do. So I'm just I'm just grateful for that. Well, that's amazing. And it's also great that you looked at the first job that you say where, where you worked in television, that you acquired these skills that you now can use um, 
as well because i think this is also uh, sometimes that um um when i speak to musicians as well uh, uh, more established music musicians that they give this as advice to younger musicians to say look you know broaden your horizon uh, do more repertoire and 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 different genres to be able to get that uh, under your belt as well so would you also think that for young actors Oh, definitely. I, I would say just familiar, familiarize yourself with all the elements of, of your, your entire business. I mean, your skill is important. What you are doing, you are bringing something important to the table. But the more you know about what other people are contributing, the easier it is to be a, a team player and, and slot into the process. Where, where you create, I think, the ideal situation is where nobody has to accommodate you. They just can assimilate you. If, if, if you wow. know what it feels yeah. like to direct, you know what not. It's, it's more about knowing what not to do. Mm -hmm. If, if I, I'm used to editing video, so if I'm on set with somebody and we're performing and we overlap in dialogue, I'll stop and go, sorry, let's do that again. Because I know that the sound engineer in four weeks' time is going to sit behind his monitor swearing at the two of us for overlapping on the dialogue. <laughs> so you, you, you get used to, to just, I think, taking everybody into consideration and, and realizing it's never a solo, nothing, in, even if you're doing a one-man show, it's not a one-man show. Nothing is just one person. It's, about, it's a group effort. That's how I feel. Well, I think we've also realized this now during the pandemic in, in theaters as well, how how important all these different roles are and how connected everybody um, is, you know, in this, in, in this industry. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's always, it's a, like I said, it's a team effort. Yeah. Even if there's only one person on the poster or one person on stage, there's never just one person running all of that. There's a, there's a team behind everything. Yeah, no, that's true. But now, Malt, tell me, um, a stand-up. <laughs> This is, <laughs> I think, somebody who does stand up is very brave because, I mean, you are very vulnerable alone on stage there and you, you know, there's a lot of factors involved. Yeah, it, it's one of those things people often say that, and I, I don't disagree, I understand. It is, it is daunting, but I also always say, in addition to that, it must be one of the most egotistical things in the world to do. To get up on a stage by yourself and just go, look at how funny I am. It, you, I, I understand it's about, there's a lot of self-confidence involved there, but there's also a lot of cheek, for lack of a better word. You, you must, you, you really, like I say, you're not doing it for the attention uh, because you, th I, I can't explain it, but it's still rather egotistical to, yeah. to imagine that you've got enough to say by yourself with no props and no special effects and nothing else just your opinion and the way that you, you bring it across, that that's going to be enough to entertain a crowd for 10, 20, 30, 50 minutes. I mean, it, it, it's great fun. And it's a, it's a very interesting art to explore. And you learn it. You, you can't go and study it. You need to learn it as you do it. You, 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 you learn from experience. But it, it, and it, I guess, it is brave, I guess. But to me, it's almost, it's also, it's not just brave. It's, it's, it's a bit arrogant, but it's fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but comedy has, and, and comedians have, have used these pla this platform or this, this art form now also to, to um, 
raised uh, topics that mm. people were are sometimes um, scared to talk about, or you know, sometimes it's politically incorrect, but but it uh, it's allowed almost on the stage. Do you also find that that you you can use comedy to send a sort of a message across? Oh, oh yes, especially um, at the town that I that I'm from, the very small. Uh, town. It doesn't have the best image or history. It was one of. It was the, the. What can I say? The, the center of a very right wing movement in the eighties and nineties, which was something that worked in on my growing up. I was very aware of that. So that provided the platform for my approach to stand up, like being the non quintessential Afrikaner. You'd expect a guy from that that background to be a certain type of person. And I'm everything but that. And I find like speaking to an Afrikaans audience, to my peers who are white Afrikaans speakers, they don't always take very kindly to me being dismissive or, or um, irreverent about that background. Whereas when I perform to other South Africans, English speaking um, or South Africans and black people who've got a certain image of what an Afrikaner is, it's lovely to be able to go on stage and go, look, there, there's a different perspective. Yeah. So I've never tried to, to preach or, or make um, general political points. I, when I do stand up, it's about my experiences and where I fit in. But I, I think it's a great way of just at least getting the other perspective out there, which is not always the mainstream perspective, um, which is why I think, well, you don't want to blame an audience ever for anything, but... I think I've got limited appeal to a, a white Afrikaans market, but a much broader appeal to a general South African market, because I'm not, I've, I've never subscribed to a certain way of being part of the culture that I'm from. Yeah. And maybe it's also because it, it, it touches on a very sensitive point, you know, yes. that they, that they don't react in a, in a very specific way. To it. Which is a pity because I would love people, I would love people who have the same background as me to realize that there's a lot, there's there's a lot more out there. There's no reason to live an isolated existence. There's no reason to carry on to things that we were taught as children that have now been proven to be totally wrong and false. But but just admit it, you made a mistake, you made a mistake, we made a mistake, you fell for something, you fell for propaganda, now you know better. It's um, and I think I think stand-up in general is very conducive to evolving because you're constantly faced with having to dissect scenarios and situations from different perspectives which again you've got to keep your audience in mind and it's fine when i feel one way about a topic but you need to consider how most of the people listening to you feel about the same topic yeah but on the other hand it's also good to laugh at yourself so i think you know when we when we make mistakes it's good to laugh at yourself but maybe in time you know exactly but that's the big thing in time i look back at now at some of the jokes i told 12 years ago and i want to just hang my head in in not even shame it's not something to be ashamed of it's but like how 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 much of an idiot was i you know why why did i ever think that that was funny yeah. Being able to, and I think that's another thing. The best way to grow is to just look at what you've done, um, but be have a, have a have, don't be have a, don't be objective. Have an objective view of what you've yeah, done, yeah. and then you can see how much you've grown. And I think there's nothing wrong in saying that was horrible. What I did there was bad. 
I'll yeah. never do it again. Yeah. Well, I look at my life that way and I just think, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done there? But then, you know, That's you have to laugh at yourself. You have to find the humor in it, you know, always. And then you compare it with where you are now and you see how much yeah. you've grown and how much you've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's that um, there's, there's two things that you have to look at where you were to see, like you say, to measure where you are. Um, not not compare yourself to others, but in your in your journey that you went, and then I think it's it's always good to look back and think and laugh at uh, you know make fun of of the things that the, the things that you didn't do right and and so on. So, yeah, and not beat yourself up about it. There's no yeah. reason to walk around with shame or guilt. I think it's just much better to acknowledge. How, how you've changed, how you've, because it makes you better. I mean, you, you yeah. learn. It's like watching myself, even just in some of the acting jobs I did 15 or 20 years ago, where you're like, wow, that is bad. You, you, you <laughs> maybe it's just because I remember it, but I can see in my face how I'm trying to, to, to turn my profile to the right camera. You can see that happening. Yeah, yeah. And at least you know you'll never do that again. Yeah, and, and you've learned from that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think many people do that, but they just don't admit it, you know. Probably, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think comedy is, like you say, you know, we laugh about it now also, and comedy is such a, a great way to uplift as well, you know, for people uh, in, in situations sometimes where it's, <clears throat> things are not so well. Hmm. It's just a way to transport them to another uh, um, state uh, almost. It's just you know? a different perspective on, it's just just yeah. the same issue, but just a different perspective because even though it's lighthearted doesn't mean it's not serious. Yeah. And yeah. and that's why I'm so I'm so grateful because I've just, I'm finishing up on a writing project now where I was part of a writer's room with four other people. And two of them told me that they were very surprised when they saw me on the list because they know me and they know me as a comedian, but this was a straightforward television drama that we wrote. And they were not worried, but they were intrigued by why the producers decided on me. And so was I, to be honest. But as we progressed, I realized that I've just, sometimes I've just got a different take on a, on a situation. Yeah. I might make a joke about it. I might be lighthearted, but it doesn't mean it's an invalid point. And a lot of my jokes that I've made in our workshops have become pretty interesting plot points in the story just because it was a left of center view that nobody else would have taken in a certain situation. So it's, it's not just always about being funny. It's about seeing the other side and the absurdist yeah. angle to something and, and incorporating that in your work. That's very interesting and, and interesting that you can write also a drama and not not just your material but you can you can do serious drama uh, writing it's a learning curve I'm, I'm i'm definitely much better at writing comedy it comes easier um mm -hmm. i think one of the most general notes that i've been receiving on this current job is try to not end every scene with a punchline <laughs> and, and and i realize that's what I, I, I but i don't even try to do that in my my head just kind of registers, you're coming to the end, you need to leave them with a laugh and get off stage. Yeah, yeah. The stand-up training kicks in, I guess. <laughs> but I love that. I think, well, you know, it, it uh, lightens the job also. 
Yes, but then, but then at least again, that's what's so great about working with other people where when you've got a producer or the head writer going, go for the punchline, but don't make it funny, make it an emotional yeah. punch, make it like a gut punch or just, just turn the tables a bit. So learning again, that's the, I, I, I love working with people and realizing what I don't know and, and working on that and expounding on that. It's fantastic. Because you know that you are bringing something to the table, but you also know that other people are bringing something else. Yeah. And it's great to see what comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sometimes that just you just need, you know, somebody's uh, input into yeah. something to change how you then um, mm. are creative. Now, I totally agree with you there. And, and working on other people's work. It's it's fantastic. I've, I've never written anything of my own because I, I that I feel I need to tell this story. I've got stand up for that. I've got my voice in stand up. When it comes to other TV projects and stuff I've written on, it's fantastic to work on somebody else's idea because mm-hmm. they've created a world and you can l- literally help them edit that into a different direction. But it's still, you, you don't feel precious about any of the content because you didn't create that. You helped shape it once it had taken yeah. form. But, and I think that's kind of a natural editor in me as I like working on existing stuff and helping other people make it better. I've got no desire to put my unique fingerprint on it and make it my voice. It's their voice. I'm just helping them to make it what I think is a better version of it. It's very interesting that you say that because I think it's, uh, you have then also a different way with words and and a different perspective then. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Very interesting. Yeah. But um, tell me now the, the South African industry, mm. the film and, and television industry and, and where you working now, can you, oh. do you feel positive about that? Like I said, it's, it's difficult to not sound a bit complacent or smug, but personally, the last year has been fantastic, but the year before that was absolutely abysmal. Um, we, we joked about, because South Africa went into COVID lockdown in March of 2020. And I, I joked with some of my friends and colleagues, it's like all of a sudden everybody's concerned because they don't know how they're going to work or where their next paycheck is going to come from. And that felt like people were intruding on our very well cultivated insecurity because we've been living like that for 20 years. That's, that's freelancing. But, yeah. but that was a horrible time in the sense that stand-up totally disappeared because live performances were out. Luckily, um, small things like writing and um, voiceover work and dubbing was able to keep, to keep me going. And personally, since last year, February, I've been lucky enough to to be working almost constantly. Um, I, I think for television and film in South Africa, it's it's slightly better than it is for stage. Stage stage actors are they literally had two years without any income. That was that was tough, but that's starting to pick up again. Um, if you're based in Cape Town, like I am now, you always have the possibility of international work. They they are a multitude of international productions shooting here, um, international commercials. So I think for TV and film in Cape Town, you might be more likely to be employed often than I was in Johannesburg. But then again, 
the Afrikaans market in South Africa on its own is incredibly, I, I think it's, it's, it's a studyable market for, uh, for anybody doing studies in, in unique and niche business models. Because Afrikaans is it's the third biggest language in the country, but it's way beyond Zulu and Kosa, which are the two biggest ones, but it's, but it's ahead of English. And the Afrikaans market is incredibly loyal. It's almost as if they will support something because A, it's Afrikaans, and B, because of the quality. Um, yeah. And it's, I've, I've, it's, there's a line in um, the, the Usual Suspects where the guy says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I always say, I use that parallel somewhere, and I don't think anybody did it on purpose. But since the late 90s, people have been able to convince Afrikaans speakers that their language is on the verge of extin- extinction, and therefore they feel compelled to support it. I mean, okay. there's yeah. an enormous Afrikaans music market, but it's not my taste. It, it's very much com- comparable to the German Schlager scene. It's, it's not yeah. my, my taste. But the support for that is enormous. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do believe that it's more because it's Afrikaans than because it's good. But I can't complain about that because because of that, if you're an Afrikaans actor in this country, you're more likely to have work than if you're an English actor. Because your English market is catered to by the entire world. I mean, anything that comes in is in English. That's it. But for Afrikaans people, home, homemade content is still number one. Mm-hmm. So in general, the one thing that's lacking in South Africa is government support. The government dropped the ball during the pandemic, especially. Um, people who really needed the support never got it. Like I say, I, I struggled, but I had stuff to carry me through. There were people who didn't, who didn't make it out the other side for various reasons. And that's, there were protests. People were camping in the Department of Arts and Culture's office, um, slow strikes, sit-ins, and but as with most things at the moment in South Africa, the government cannot be relied on. So that's the, the only good thing that comes from that is seeing how incredibly ingenious people are and how creative they are when it comes to creating work for themselves. Yeah, I think this is what I see also when I speak to the, the opera singers in South Africa, you know, how they just get on with it and, and do their own concerts and go in the gardens and, and sing, you know, and, uh, I, I found this really uh, fascinating that they do that. But now um, Afrikaans films of, of uh, you know, um, I would say the 80s or 70s, 80s, 90s, yes, they were, for that standard, they were actually good films. Mm. And, and there were many of them as well. And it was almost an industry that, that was a strong industry. So mm. is that now change, do you think that the films in Afrikaans is also not as good as they, as th- they were? Um, I think they were not. I think the, the standard picked up incredibly fast. Okay. I remember I, studied, I started studying drama in 1998, and that was the year um, Katanka Haynes released Paul Yas, and it was almost okay. the first Afrikaans film in about six years at that point. So when I was studying the idea of a booming Afrikaans film industry one, one day was not really something we considered. And if you look at it now, there's an enormous amount of Afrikaans film, um, films. 
And because there are so many, I mean, eight, eight, nine years ago when they started coming out, I don't think the quality was, there were good ones, but the quality in general was kind of yeah, mediocre. But it was supported because it was Afrikaans. Then the market started being flooded and people were like, oh, no, this is not good. But I always thought it was a great thing because once you've got that much choice, people need to be discerning. They're not going to support something just for being Afrikaans. Mm -hmm. So people had to seriously pick up their game and and deliver proper content, and I think I think that has happened. I think that I think the, the the level, I mean, there's still there's still, and I don't want to call anything bad because a lot of trouble and yeah. effort goes into it. It's just not my taste, and yeah. and being being popular isn't a bad thing, but people are taking more chances. It's not just silly comedies, not just romantic comedies and musicals anymore. Um, I'm very proud. Two of my close friends were involved in a, in a film called Gaia, which is an Afrikaans. Well, it, it, first of all, it's a South African movie that happens to be an Afrikaans, which I think is the right way to take it. The fact that the movie is an Afrikaans is not in the top five things that define the movie. It's a, a great psychological, environmental thriller with a fantastic script and a great score and wonderful performances. The fact that any of those happen in Afrikaans is, is incidental. So I think a lot of filmmakers have moved away, because there's competition, have moved away from just being Afrikaans filmmakers, but they've moved towards being good filmmakers, which I think is a great thing. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that is then, I mean, that's good for the industry. And then because they, like you say, because there are so many now, people are starting to be more particular to what they watch or what they think is is a good film exactly yeah, yeah. No, it really, I, I, I'm, I'm very positive about it i mean there's still as always there's there's always popular stuff that doesn't appeal to everyone yeah but again yeah. like i said i'm very careful to call anything bad because i know how much work goes into something even if it's, mm -hmm. if it's not fantastic yeah no that's true and like you say it has to appeal to some people then yes. you know some people and if it works if it makes yeah. money it obviously works yeah but now, um, tell me, what are your wishes for the future? At this point, if I'm, I've I've always been a big fan of what I call the upward the upward curve. I I, I feel like after being in the business for twenty years, um, I'm starting to become a bit more established in some of the aspects of what I'm doing. So I I would I would just prefer the upward curve to continue. Um, I'm getting more acting work, which is not comedy based. So I like working on that part of my skill, which which hasn't been exercised that much in the last 15 years. Um, I, I personally, I'm I'm hoping for a lot more writing from my side, and maybe even tackling something that is my own and not always working on somebody else's. Yeah. But for now, I'm very happy to learn by working with other people. It's still great. I just, when I work by myself, I get so insecure. I, I need somebody to tell me whether this is horrible or doable. Just, just one of those two. Oh, okay. But, but the self, the self doubt is always there. So, but yeah, I'm like I say, for the future, I'm just hoping for a gradual upward curve. That'll be fantastic. Well, you're very positive, but I like your your approach to things. And I'm actually writing a book myself, but I sometimes irritate or I get annoyed with myself for what I write, you know, it's like, yeah. I think, and then um, when I give it to my daughter to read and she just changes it a little bit, the, 
like you say, the words so edit it a little bit, mm. then it sounds a bit dif uh, different. But I think it's because it's in my head the whole time. And I think then you get to this point where you think, really, is this good enough? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you become blind to your own to your own faults at some point as well. And, yeah. and I, yeah. but I also think that's a built-in, maybe a very old survival instinct in us. Mm. So like my, my, my fiance, for instance, uh, she illustrates and she draws pictures to make t-shirts. And I'm actually wearing one that she made, made me that a t-shirt of our cat. <gasps> oh, that is so lovely. That is wow. on my t-shirt. But but she always, once she's working on a commission. At the yeah. end of it, she'll show it to me and sit and ask me what is wrong. And I see small things like an eye that is maybe off center or a, yeah. a little a mark around the mouth that she's been looking at that picture for two days. So she's yeah. not going to notice things like that because she's used to them being there. And that that external eye is wonderful in anything you do. I think it's it's wonderful. Yeah, that's true. I think it is like that. If you see something for a very long time, you get your eyes and your mind gets used to it, you know, and you can't. Your mind tells you that it, it belongs there because it's been there all the time. Yeah. You need that external point of view to just go, mm -mm, maybe not. Yeah. But now, Mount, uh, there's one more question. Uh, I would like to know if you could give a shout out to your favorite restaurant or coffee shop in the area. Do you go somewhere in Cape Town? But you okay. say you live in Cape Town. Oh. Yes, my favorite place to, to go in Cape Town is a is a, a bar and restaurant called Van Hunks. Oh yeah. It's and it's so great because every time people come there, I get to tell them the whole story of why it's called Van Hunks, because it's named yeah. after an old folklore character who used to smoke his pipe up on Table Mountain. And if you see the mist covering Table Mountain, that's Van Hunks smoking his pipe. But okay. Van Hunks is definitely my favorite place to hang out in Cape Town. Wonderful. I'm going to put their link in the description. Oh, please do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll tag them, definitely, yeah. But Great. it was so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure and unexpected. Yeah. It's always nice because you never get the chance to talk out loud about what you do. So it's, yeah, I, yeah. I think even I've learned a thing or two just by listening to, to me waffling on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, and I'm, it, you know, different people give different perspectives and then you think about things a little, a bit differently, you know, about how people do it. And it's always interesting to know how people start, you know, how, how yeah. did they get into this industry and how did they cope with it? And like you say now, I think young um, actors also by hearing what was your story, what was your journey that opens up also possibilities for them rather than thinking, oh, no, you know, there's just one route and this is, uh, oh, no, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, keep on keeping on. I mean, it, it's working yeah. well now. Let's talk again in a year. I might have changed okay. my mind. But for now, I'm very, I'm very <laughs> positive fine. about yeah. it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's lovely to meet you too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the chat. Okay. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>